last week we started a series walking through the book of Galatians. We're going to be here for a few months. I love the book of Galatians. One of my favorite books. It's all about the free gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the, the grace that God gave sinners like me and like you through Jesus. And that's why we've titled this series Freedom Through Christ. Okay, that's easy. You see, the freedom that we have through Christ, it's a story that never gets old. If you're a Christian, you never get, get tired, hopefully, talking about the fact that you were once lost and now you're found. You were on your way to eternity without God, and now you're on your way to eternity with God. That, that's the best news ever. That's why we call it the gospel. The main point from, from last week's sermon was this. We cannot earn God's favor through legalism, for the gospel is free and freeing. If you missed last week, by the way, I would encourage you to go watch it online because you've only missed one sermon so far for this series. So if you are watching today and you go watch at heritagecommunity.org last week's, you'll be caught up. Okay, we talked last week about legalism because there were this group of people, these Judaizers, these Jews who believed in the message of Jesus, but they were still hanging on and clinging to the traditions of, 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 of Judaism and, and their laws from the Old Testament, their traditions that they had added to those laws. And they were coming into the churches there in Galatia, and they were putting pressure on these new Christians basically to become Jews. They said, you know, we need you specifically to be circumcised and to follow the, the calendar of Judaism and all its festivals. You know, that's what it looks like to be a real Christian. They believed you had to do these things in order to please God and make him happy, to earn his favor. And Paul writes this, this letter to the Galatians saying, I don't think so. You know, that's not what I just taught you guys. That's legalism because it's works righteousness. The gospel, on the other hand, is free. So today we're going to continue in chapter 1. We're going to focus on verses 6 through 10. And the title for today's message is Contending for the Gospel. Paul is now going to address the problem, namely that these false teachers have come in with their false gospel. And worse, the fact that the Galatians were listening to it. The Bible also talks about false teachers and false gospels in the book of Jude. In verse 3, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. See, this word contend, it's actually an athletic word. It means to agonize greatly or to struggle I've been thinking about Michael Jordan a lot, you know, with this documentary going on on Sunday nights, and I, and I love it, by the way. So, so this idea of agonizing greatly or to struggle, what does it make you think of? It makes me think of the flu game, you know, where, where he, he willed his team to victory through such sickness that when the game was over, he couldn't even walk off the court without help. The game was so important that they, it was too important to lose. Contending for the gospel is like that, okay? It's like participating in an agonizing contest, a contest that's too important to lose. But this is what we're all called to do, not just, not just the pastors, not just the leaders, but all of us. We're called to contend, to fight for the true gospel. First Peter, the apostle Peter wrote this letter in, in chapter 3. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
It's so important for us to know what we believe. You know, I think a lot about that when it comes to youth ministry. We know these numbers of, these huge numbers of teenagers that when they graduate high school, they leave the faith. You know, whether it's a skeptic professor that they have in college or an unbelieving new boyfriend or girlfriend or, or some co-worker that, you know, follows a different religion. Whoever it is, those kids, they're just not prepared. They're not prepared to contend for their faith. And when the questions arise, they don't really have an answer for it. I remember walking through the student center at University of North Texas where I finally finished college. And one day, one, one day they had in the hallway there all these tables set up. You know, like, hey, join this group, vote for this or that, sign up for your first credit card. And one of the guys behind one of the tables, he started talking to me, and he mentioned Jesus, and, and I could tell he was trying to evangelize me. Now, by this point in my life, I was a Christian, and I thought, well, I'll just let him practice on me anyways. You know, that was what a nice guy would do. And, you know, everything he was saying, I was like, that sounds pretty good to me, until it didn't. Okay, now, I just want to say, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. He's been a pastor ever, ever since I was born, okay? Um, I've definitely grown in what I know about God's Word in the last 20 years, but even at this point in college, around 20 years old or so, I was at least very familiar with Christianity, familiar with the church, familiar with the stories in the Bible, but I had never heard what this guy started saying, okay? I didn't know what religion he was a part of, there was nothing that made me go, oh, you're this kind of religion. I wasn't prepared for that. All I knew is that he didn't really know the truth about God. Now, apparently, I have a face I make when someone starts saying things that I don't like. And I guess I don't hide it very well. And I guess also I'm not really known for being quiet and gentle when people start doing things that I think are wrong. So the way I remember it, I think I just said something like, what? You know, it might have been a little harsher than that. You know, what are you talking about? Who told you these things? That stuff's not true. But unfortunately, that's about as far as it went because, to be honest, I wasn't really prepared to take this guy from where I saw where he was to where I knew he needed to be. See, I wasn't prepared to contend for my... I knew there was something off, but I wasn't really sure exactly what to say to this stuff. Turns out the guy was a Mormon... Okay, and morally speaking, probably this guy was an unbelievable guy. Spiritually speaking, he said he believed in the Bible and Jesus. That, that's big for me. I mean, most people that, that in my life, if they say the name of Jesus, that, that's good. But truthfully, he was following a religion that was set up by a guy who made God in, out of his own ideas. You know, in the 1800s, Joseph Smith claimed that God gave him a new Bible he also said that Jesus had visited the United States of America after his resurrection. Now, no one had taught me that the Mormons believed that. So when he, this guy started telling me that, I just thought, well, that sounds, you know, different than anything that I had ever heard. And that Jesus so much loved America that when he comes back the next time, he's going to first go to Jerusalem, of course, but then after that, he's going to head straight from Missouri. Now, that... That sounds silly or funny the way I said it, I guess. 
But to be honest, I kind of was hurting for this guy because I, I knew he had been tricked into believing something that in my heart I knew wasn't right. And, and I even know that he was actually trying to help me, and I wanted to help him, but I just didn't know how. All that to say is that we've got to prepare every Christian, every kid, every teenager, every adult to be able to contend for their faith, to fight this struggle, this battle. So please read with me Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10, as we read through from the Word of God. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you originally, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, just to make sure you don't think I had lost my mind for a second, let me say that again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Can we pray? Father, as we open your word, I pray that you would speak to us. Help us to understand it correctly so that we can apply it to our life and it can be the power of you in our hearts that we would know truth. Amen. So last week, we had kind of the greeting to the letter of the Galatians. Paul lets you know who it was that was writing and who he's writing it to. And normally in his letters, he would give some sort of a, you know, a word of thanksgiving to who he was writing it to. Or maybe a, a word of praise about their faithfulness. That was kind of the standard letter writing etiquette. Okay, in fact, I looked this up. There was a man named Quintilian who lived back then in the first century. Same time of Paul as he's doing his ministry. Quintilian, Quintilian was the literary teacher, if you will, of that day. Okay, and in one of his works on writing letters, this is what Quintilian wrote. He said, a man should not open in such a wild and exclamatory nature. Instead, a sane man would employ a courteous and natural opening. And here Paul says, ain't nobody got time for that. People are turning away from the gospel up in here. You know, we got false teachers coming in, preaching false gospels. We don't have time for courteous and natural opening. Paul's like that parent who sees the ball rolling toward the street and he sees the car coming, you know. He doesn't say, hey, you know, Junior, right now might be the time that we talk about how you approach the ball as it rolls into traffic. You know, you just yell, stop! You know, you're not worried about people saying, I can't believe you are your kid. You're not worried about your kids start crying because you yelled at them. You're just saying, I see danger coming. I'm yelling, stop. We'll talk about it later. You just say that. And that's what Paul is doing here. This is like a, a passionate warning. He's saying, stop. I see what's going on. This is dangerous. Paul is not even astonished about the fact that there are false teachers and false gospels. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly turning and deserting. He's passionate about the fact that his friends are listening to the false teachers with their false gospels. So the first thing we're going to look at today is this. The Galatians were turning from the gospel. And number one, their turning from the gospel was serious. The word turning here means to transfer one's allegiance. Turning, to transfer one's allegiance. It was used for soldiers who would literally start fighting for the other side. Can you believe that? That's what this word turning means. In my family, that would be like Braxton coming home and announcing he is now a Washington Redskins fan. 
okay? I, I'm not buying a, a Washington Redskins jersey. That's not happening. And the Galatians here, though, they had heard the truth of the free gospel of God, and now they're putting on the jersey of works-based righteousness. That's what was happening here. They were changing their allegiance. Turning away from the gospel was serious. And when someone you know is doing that, it should grieve you like it grieved Paul. You shouldn't just go, well, you know, I can't believe so-and-so. He's kind of going another way right now. On the flip side of that, when someone begins walking in grace, when that happens, we get to see that a lot here at Heritage. When, when, when people, kids, teenagers, adults, they get up here in the, in the baptistry. Y'all probably can't see what I'm pointing at. Anyways, there's a baptistry over here. When they get in there and they begin walking in grace and faith in Christ, that's exciting. That's what John said in his third letter. John, third John, verse four, he says, I have no greater joy than this than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And that's awesome. We get excited about that. But when they begin to walk away or they begin to walk into danger of following a false gospel, it's got to grieve us. And we got to get ready to fight and contend for the true gospel. Second thing is this, their turning from the gospel happened quickly. Look at what Paul said. He said, I'm astonished you were so quickly deserting him. So quickly. Paul had planted these churches. That he had gone in, him and Barnabas, and they had preached the gospel of truth. These people had become Christians, been baptized, began walking in that grace. And so quickly after he left, they began turning and were confused by these false teachers. It reminds me of the Israelites after God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. I mean, he marched them across the sea on dry land for crying out loud, right? Gave them the law, made a covenant with them, and then while Moses goes up on the mountain to talk to God, they make a cow out of gold and bow down and worship it. In my, I mean, that, what is going on? That, that's crazy. I forget what funny movie it was. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I mean, y'all not just remember what just happened and what God has done? And just like that, it happened with the Galatians also. This turning happened quickly. Now, however, there is some good news. Even though the Galatians were turning away from the gospel, their turning from the gospel was not hopeless. Look at this word here, turning, is a present tense verb. That's a really good thing because what that means is it's an action that was in the process of happening, not an action that had been completed. So the Galatians had not gone so far that they could not come back. That's really important. It's really important if you consider yourself to be a, a minister of the gospel. You see, through faithful contending for the gospel, Paul could correct this situation. But he could have also just let it go. He could have just said, you know what? I'm going to move on. I'm going to plant me another church. We'll start over. But he wasn't willing to do that because of his love for the Galatians. When someone you know begins to turn toward another gospel or just walk away from their faith altogether, you fight for them. Pastor Sid says, never close the door to a relationship. Never. I can't, I can't tell you how many stories that we have just here at Heritage in the last 12 years of people who began to walk away, whether from their faith, toward a different gospel, for whatever reason, but yet they were never too far gone to find their way back home. God's grace is humongous. It covers all sin. We just have to turn our eyes back toward him. We have to fight for the gospel, the true gospel. The next thing we're going to look at today are three truths that come along with, tragically, unfortunately, 
the turning away from the gospel. The first one is when you turn from the gospel, you turn from God himself. Listen to what Paul said. He said, I'm astonished you were so quickly deserting who? Him. Him. They, they weren't just turning away from, you know, a set of rules or traditions. They weren't just saying, hey, you know, uh, these were our core values when we set up the church at Galatia. And now we're going to change core value number three to this over here. That's not what was happening. They were deserting him. They were deserting God the Father. They weren't just changing their, their uh, principles on a certain issue that was going on in their culture. No, when you turn away from the gospel of grace, you turn away from the God of grace. Can I say that again? When you turn away from the gospel of grace, you turn away from the God of grace. Grace is God's idea. That's how he wants people to come to know him. You can't have God without grace. You can't get there. Secondly, when you turn from the gospel, you turn from the grace of Christ. The grace of Christ, that term is synonymous with the gospel. You see, the Judaizers, they were coming in. They were preaching Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus following the law. Jesus plus celebrating these festivals. Salvation isn't Jesus plus anything. Why? Because salvation is what? Is by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. If you turn away from the gospel, you cannot have salvation. Jesus himself said it. I am the way. I am the way. When you turn away from the gospel, you turn away from the grace of Christ. Finally, this. When you turn from the gospel, you have nowhere else to go. Look at what Paul says here. Verse 6 again. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. Paul says the message of the Judaizers is not even a gospel at all. But Paul chooses his words really carefully here. Look what he says. In verse 6 he says, you are turning to a different gospel. The word different here, it's a Greek word for the word heteros. It's where we get our word like heterosexual. It means another of a different nature. Okay? Different. Another of a different nature. In the Bible, it's also used in Hebrews 7 where the writer is explaining that we need a, a different kind of priest. Okay, not one like Aaron and the Old Testament priest, but one of a different nature. Namely, we needed Christ, our priest. Different nature. In verse 7, listen to what Paul says, it's not that there is another one, talking about this false gospel. The word another here is translated from the Greek word alos. It means another of the same nature. This is the word Jesus used in, the, in John chapter 14 when he tells his followers that when he leaves, another of the same nature is going to come. He was using that word to say when the Holy Spirit comes, he's divine like I'm divine. Another but of the same nature. Paul says there is no allos gospel. There is no gospel of the same nature. There's the gospel and then there's false gospels. There's the gospel and there's something that's not the gospel at all. Whatever this is over here, it cannot save us from our sins. Paul says, you are turning to a different gospel, different kind. Not that there is another one. 
Same kind. These false teachers were teaching a false gospel. They were bringing all kinds of confusion into the church. Paul sees it as his, as his idea. He needs to, to fix this. You know, sometimes as, as pastors, as leaders, we, we find it, that it is our responsibility to protect the flock. You know, there's a lot to say in the New Testament about not allowing these false gospels to infiltrate your church. Okay, what do we say? Sheep in wolves' clothing. Something that looks good and sounds right, but actually it's wrong. These false teachers were reversing the gospel. You say, what do you mean, Brian, by reversing the gospel? One of the most famous passages in the Bible about the gospel is in Ephesians chapter 2. And verses 8, 9, and 10 say this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you notice the order? We are first saved by grace, and then secondly, we are saved by grace for good works. We don't first do good works so that we are secondly saved, okay? But the false gospel that was being taught by the false teachers, they were reversing this gospel. They were saying that in order to earn God's favor, we had to do these works first. Paul was ready to contend for the true gospel. He was ready to contend for the gospel of grace, the gospel of freedom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is essential. There's been a lot of talk lately about that word essential, what's essential, what's not essential. And I bet if we asked 10 different people to list 10 essential things, we'd get 10 different answers, agreed? But let me be as clear as I can be today, okay? The gospel, the true gospel, the free gospel of grace is essential. It is essential. I'm going to show you this. The gospel is essential because, number one, Christ's glory is at stake. You see, false gospels, who do they glorify? They glorify man. They glorify man's good works. They don't glorify Jesus and his ultimate work. False gospels say, well, I'm a pretty good guy, so I'm going to heaven. False gospels say, well, he's not as good of a guy. I'm not sure if he's going to heaven. Charles Spurgeon once said, if you meet with the system of theology which magnifies man, flee from it as far as you can. I'm not sure if he meant for that to rhyme. He was writing something, but he said, if you meet with the system of theology which magnifies man, flee from it as far as you can. If you can be good enough, if you can, be eter if you can earn eternal life by doing the right things, by following a certain set of rules, then Jesus died for no reason. And when we make the song list for Sunday mornings, instead of singing about Jesus, we ought to be singing about you, whoever you are out there. That's not the case. We don't sing songs about Joe and Jerry and Kate. We sing songs about Jesus on Sunday morning. Because no matter how good Joe, Jerry, and Kate have been at this life, it's nothing when compared to the ultimate righteousness of Christ, the righteousness that God demands for us to be made right with him. He had to die in our place. The gospel is essential because Christ's glory is at stake. 
Number two, the gospel is essential because people's souls are at stake. The guy that talked to me there that day at University of North Texas from behind that table, his soul is at stake. And I knew that. I knew that the gospel was essential and I needed to be able to share with him, but I didn't know where to start from what he was saying to me and what I felt like we were missing, and I, I didn't know how to do that. When we speak about salvation, we have to get it right, lest we keep someone from hearing the truth about God's free grace. Jesus, he, this was pretty serious to him, if you didn't know. In Matthew 18, he said it would be better for you to have a stone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than for you to cause someone to stumble and keep them from believing the truth of the gospel, basically. Sounds pretty serious, right? He says, if you don't really know what to say, if you're going to keep somebody from knowing the true truth of the gospel, you might as well throw a stone around your neck and get tossed into the sea. It doesn't sound so good. Jesus thought it was pretty essential because people's souls are at stake. He knew this because he knew that he was the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. Finally, this, the gospel is essential because the health of the church is at stake. I've always loved the church. I don't know why, I just feel like I've always loved it. Not just the idea of the church and not just my favorite churches. I've been part of lots of different local churches. But, but the church, you know, the group of people on earth and those who have already with Jesus that have received God's free grace because of their faith in Jesus Christ, the church. Paul loved the church. He felt like it was his, it was his job to protect the church. He was the shepherd. He knows that they miss the gospel, that they miss everything. That's why he's, you know, just like going crazy here. I'm, I'm, I'm astonished. Stop. You know, he's just yelling. He's not being gentle. If the Galatians don't get this one thing right, it doesn't matter what else they do. And Paul knows that. And it's the same for us today. I don't care if your church has a $10 million budget, the best live stream, professional musicians, and like a really, you know, famous pastor, preacher. If they don't preach the true gospel of the grace of God, they will lead all of their people into an eternity without God. It's essential. You've got to get that one thing right. I don't care color you paint the walls. I don't care what you got on the floor for carpet. I don't care what instruments you use. I don't care if you stream to the YouTube or the Facebook. If you don't preach the gospel of truth, you're leading people into a false belief. pretty simple message when you think about it and yet day after day week after week phone calls and people coming into our office who are beginning to turn away from the gospel you may fight this yourself we fight this works-based righteousness we talked about it last week that just as humans in general we have a hard time believing anything can be free that we got to earn it that we got to merit God's favor by doing the right thing the truth is, if that were the case, how would you ever know if you had done enough? In closing, verse 10 here in our passage is kind of this transition verse between 6 and 9 and what comes next. And Paul, he begins to talk about the fact that he's not seeking the approval of man. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. What does he mean? See, some of the Judaizers, they might have been saying something like, well, Paul doesn't want to preach 
you know, circumcision and the law because he just wants the Galatians to really like him. And he knows that if he started doing that, he wouldn't have as many converts. I don't know. But he says, look, if I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. I was a Pharisee. I was a good Pharisee. Paul had the approval of man. He was revered for his zeal. That's what the Pharisees did. They would go around giving glory to each other. Okay? They would, ooh, man, you're wearing that robe nice today, man. Oh, look, you've been fasting that many days and you still look nice? Man. They, they would give glory to each other. Jesus knew that they would do this. Listen, Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 44, he says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? They go around giving glory to each other. Oh, you know that tradition we added, you know, two years ago? You've been doing that really good. That's what the Pharisees would do. Oh, remember that new rule we made up? Man, you, you knocked that one out of the park. And they would build each other up. It was, it was based on man. Paul, he said, I'm not seeking the glory of man anymore. His life had been radically changed by Jesus. And the only thing he was concerned about now was the glory of Christ. That's it. That's why he wasn't worried about what people might think when he wrote this letter. Because all he was concerned about was the glory of Christ. And he knew that beginning to turn toward a false gospel meant turning away from Christ. That's how it has to be for every Christian. If you're seeking the approval of the people around you, if you want to be liked, if you want to be in at a certain group, you know, you want to be included, probably not going to be a faithful follower of Jesus if that's what's most important to you. Proverbs says that the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. Seeking the approval of people is idolatry because you worship them and you worship what they think about you. It's a dangerous place to be. In 2020, it's really, really easy to fall into the trap, the snare of looking on social media and comparing myself to other people, making sure I, you know, take about 30 minutes to edit my Instagram post before I send it out because I want people to think highly of me because I worship them and what they think of me. It's idolatry. I think the old hymn says it right says, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. Church, I want to encourage you today. Contend for the gospel and live for the glory of Jesus. That's it. That's it. Contend, fight battle, struggle, agonize for the true, free gospel of God and live for the glory of Jesus. Can we pray? Father, you alone are God. Your word alone is truth. And your son alone is the way to salvation. Father, we apologize. We are, we are sorry. We repent for the times that we begin to turn toward a different gospel, where we begin to desire the approval of man over the approval of you. We're sorry when we cheapen the, the cross of Christ, when we act like we can earn your favor by doing certain things or not doing certain things and forgetting that grace is free. 
forgetting the fact that we could not even have turned in your direction without you first calling us. And Father, we are grateful. Let us never forget that calling, the day that you pulled us out of the mud in order to lift us high, to be made right again with you. We thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice you made. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.